Section 8 of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet. Translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5. The Spirit of Patriotism. Pasteur was an ardent patriot, and the disasters of France affected him profoundly. Determined though he was to work in spite of the war, since he had nothing else than his work to give to his country, it was nevertheless hard for him to reconcile himself so keenly did he share the high tension of public feeling. Retiring to his boyhood home at Arbois, he sought to content himself with studying the fermentation of tan bark. Yet all the while he was on the alert for news and quivering in unison with the soul of the nation at the announcement of each new defeat. When Paris was bombarded and shells reached the Museum of Natural History, Chevreau's eloquent and indignant protest in the name of the Academy of Sciences caused Pasteur to regret that he had not been in Paris in order to sign it, together with his colleagues who were present. But he remembered that in 1868, he had received a diploma from the University of Bonn, conferring upon him the honorary degree of Doctor of Medicine in recognition of his brilliant work, and he decided to return it to the dean. He accompanied it with a letter pulsating throughout with the highest kind of patriotism. To Monsieur the Dean of the Faculty of Medicine of Bonn, Rhenish, Prussia, Arbois, Jura, January 18, 1871. Monsieur the Dean. In 1868, the Faculty of Medicine of the University of Bonn did me the honor to confer upon me voluntarily the degree of Doctor of Medicine in recognition of my work in regard to fermentations and the role played by microscopic organisms. Among all the distinctions bestowed upon me by reason of the discoveries which I have been privileged to make since entering upon my scientific career, Twenty-two years ago, there is none I acknowledged which caused me greater satisfaction. It was, in my eyes, the confirmation of a secret hope, of the truth of which I felt more and more convinced, namely that my researches were opening up new horizons to the study of medicine. I even hastened to frame under glass that honorary degree which bore witness to the decision of your faculty, and I adorned the wall of my private office with it. Today the sight of this same parchment has become odious to me, and I feel that it is an insult to have my name with the qualification of Virum Clarissimum, which you bestowed upon it, placed under the auspices of a name condemned henceforth to the execration of my country, that of Rex Gelelmus. While protesting loudly my profound respect toward you and all the other celebrated professors who signed their names at the foot of the document representing the decision of the members of your order, I must still obey the voice of my conscience and beg you to erase my name from the archives of your faculty and to take back this diploma as a sign of the indignation aroused in a French savant by the barbarity and hypocrisy of the man who, for the sake of satisfying a criminal pride, obstinately insists upon the massacre of two great nations. Since the conference of Ferrières, 
France has sought for the respect of human dignity and Prussia for the triumph of the most abominable of lies, namely, that the future peace of Germany depends upon the dismemberment of France, although every sane man knows that the conquest of Alsace and Lorraine is simply a prize of war carried to the bitter end. Woe to the people of Germany if, being nearer than we to feudal servitude, they do not understand that France, while possessing the lands of Alsace and Lorraine, is not mistress of the consciences of their inhabitants. Savoie would still be a part of Piedmont if its inhabitants had not consented by a free vote to become French. Such is the modern right of civilized nations which your king is trampling underfoot and in defense of which France has risen. Therefore, there is perhaps no epoch of her history in which France has better deserved to be called the great nation, the initiator of progress, the guiding light of other races. Here is a whole people which has arisen against you, ready to push onward to the ends of the earth and to dare everything because of her conviction of the justice and sanctity of her cause. Kindly accept, Monsieur the Dean, on behalf of yourself and your distinguished colleagues, the expression of my sentiments of high consideration, Louis Pasteur, member of the Institute. In the white heat of conflict between two powerful nations, this reasonable and humane letter, couched in terms of such noble pride, could not be understood. Dr. Neumann, dean of the faculty of Bonn, replied harshly, with an affectation of disdain under which he betrayed the irritation caused by this great and well-merited lesson. Pasteur, strong in the conviction that he and his nation were in the right, wrote a second letter, no longer indignant, but saddened and deploring the murderousness of war, which puts a barrier between men who were born to understand each other and to join forces in the search of happiness. He wrote, Monsieur the Dean, in rereading your letter and my own, I feel sick at heart to think that men like you and myself, who have consecrated their lives to a search after the truth and to the progress of the human mind, could address each other in such terms and based for my own part upon such acts. Nevertheless, we have there one other result of the character imprinted upon this war by your emperor. You speak to me of degradation, Monsieur the Dean. There is degradation, be assured of that, and there will continue to be, down to the remotest epochs of time, attached to the memory of those who began the bombardment of Paris at a date when capitulation through famine was inevitable, and who continued this savage act when it had become evident to everyone that it would not hasten by a single hour the surrender of the heroic city. Louis Pasteur. To the anguish of patriotism there were added private anxieties, for Pasteur's son, who was only 18 years old, was serving as quartermaster in the Army of the East under the command of Bourbaki. Having been for a long time without news, Pasteur set out to seek for him among the demoralized troops in full retreat and destined finally to take refuge in Switzerland. He had the good fortune to find him in that disorganized crowd, emaciated, exhausted, but still living. After a few days of repose at Geneva, 
this son, well worthy of his father, returned with him to France and re-entered the service in the Army of National Defense. International war was soon followed by civil war, and Pasteur, being unable either to enter Paris or to return to Arbois, which was occupied by the enemy, proceeded to install himself early in 1871 in the house of his friend and collaborator, Émile Duclos, who at that time was professor of chemistry in the faculty of Clermont-Ferrand. He wrote to him on the 29th of March, 1871. I have my head filled with the finest projects for work, but the war has forced my brain to lie fallow. I feel ready now to become productive again, although, alas, I may be deceiving myself. In any case, I shall try. Ah, why am I not rich, a millionaire? I should then say to you and to Roland and Guernet and Fantigam and the rest, come, we are going to transform the world by our discoveries. How fortunate you are to be young and in good health. Oh, if I could only recommence a new life of study and toil. Poor France, dear motherland, if I could only contribute to relieve you from your disasters. At Clermont-Ferrand, Pasteur hesitated between several paths. Should he continue to devote himself to silkworms, or commence some new researches. Chance and the desire to do away with French consumption of an almost exclusive product of German industry turned his attention to the study of beer. Why should we not make good beer in France? Pasteur asked himself, and he straightway set to work to find an answer to his own question. There was a small brewery at Chamilière near Clermont, and it was there at the home of the proprietor, Monsieur Kuhn, that he conducted his first experiments, afterwards verified in Duclos' laboratory in the Faculty of Sciences. The microscopic examination of malts, yeasts, and beers soon convinced him that the latter acquired a bad taste through diseases analogous to those of wines and due to certain microbes. In brewing, just as in all industries where fermentation plays the principal role, the manufacture was purely empirical, without method or science, and the results, whether good or bad, were often due to pure chance. Pasteur resolved to place brewing on a firm basis, established through experiments, to the end that it should yield nothing but perfect products. Since beer was spoiled by the introduction of harmful germs, and its quality corresponded to the quality of the yeast which caused the fermentation, it was necessary on the one hand to eliminate germs, and on the other hand to obtain a thoroughly lively and perfectly pure yeast. These were the problems to which Pasteur applied himself, and during his sojourn at Clermont, he manufactured beer according to his own rules, and was able to send a dozen bottles of it to Dumas. But the brewery at Chamelier was too restricted a field. In September 1871, he set out for England, and he reduced the great London brewers to a point of stupefaction by pronouncing upon the quality of their different beers, those that were good and those that were bad, simply by examining them under a microscope. With their practical temperament, 
the English grasped the great benefit which their manufacture could derive from the method of the French scientist, and the microscope became a frequently consulted instrument in their breweries. Upon returning to Paris, and once more installed in his laboratory at the École Normale, Pasteur still continued his studies of beer. The problem to be solved was a very delicate one. As a matter of fact, a beer may be good, even perfect, and yet be unpalatable, for the question of taste intervenes quite aside from the quality of the manufacture. Now, for the purpose of carrying on this work of adaptation and of detail, writes Monsieur Duclos, Pasteur had none of the essential requisites. He did not like beer, and although by force of will he succeeded in acquiring a sufficiently trained palate and a sense of taste, he remained unable to detect differences pointed out by the brewers themselves, and which he was sometimes amazed to find keenly appreciated by his friend Berton, who lived next to him in the École Normale, as assistant director, and who was frequently invited into the laboratory for conferences over the relative flavor of samples. In the face of the enthusiastic appreciations sometimes expressed by his friend, Pasteur remained bewildered, feeling that they were leading him into regions where he did not like to venture, and he would forthwith have renounced this labor of Sisyphus if he had not had the imprudence to solicit the pecuniary aid of a certain society for investigations, a very large and generous society, toward which he had thus contracted a moral obligation to succeed in his enterprise. In order to arrive at the conclusion which he wished, the laboratory did not suffice his needs. Accordingly, Pasteur went to continue his researches at the great breweries belonging to the Turtel brothers at Dantonville. Above all else, he recommended the most scrupulous cleanliness in all the manipulations and all the implements of manufacture. Let us here introduce a parenthesis for the purpose of pointing out the extent to which Pasteur insisted upon cleanliness in all the details of daily life. He never seated himself at table without carefully wiping his plates, his glass, his knife and fork, examining them all with the most severe attention. He never ate fruit that was not peeled, and he even scraped off the crust from his bread for fear that it might be infected with microbes. These habits were well known to his family, but they could not have failed to astonish his hostesses when he dined away from home. After a short sojourn at the Turtel Brothers' brewery, in company with his assistant, Monsieur Grenet, Pasteur announced that all the diseases of beer arose from microbes, which could be avoided through precautions in the course of manufacture, that it was necessary to make careful selection of yeasts, and that if bottled beer was heated to the point of 122 degrees Fahrenheit, it was rendered unalterable. His method and his processes have enabled France to cope successfully with foreign competition, and the Congress of French Brewers held in 1889 attributed all the merit of their products to his labors. After the close of the war, the world of science so highly appreciated the genius of Pasteur that the celebrated Englishman Huxley did not hesitate to declare that his discoveries were worth the five billion ransom of France. 
and yet this was only the first part of his work, the part which, according to Duclos, had won him fame, while now he was about to enter upon the second part, devoted to human maladies, which was destined to assure him immortality. End of section 8.